0: All right, let us turn to Exodus. Last week we spent time reviewing in Exodus the nine plagues that God had sent upon Egypt. And some commentators use the word plague and, and translators as you would see in the ESV Bible. But a number of commentators and other um, other versions of of the Bible will not use plague they 'll use um, uh, god struck um, or um, something different to describe and and as you read through you go through those those plagues, you realize that not all of them would 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 really fit in the idea of plague. When we think of that, we think of pestilence or disease or some sort but but frogs and lice and um, n- and flies. Um, are they're not they're not really plague-like, and so um, what we've seen this this last last week with with the nine plagues. I mean, the, it, Egypt has been through a lot. It's been a wretched few months in Egypt's history, and it's ruined their country. And as a result, Pharaoh's heart. Has grown harder, and Israel still remains enslaved. And the story of Exodus and Israel's redemption really is just heating up. And that's what we're going to learn about this morning. God, the deliverer, God, the redeemer, Israel's redeemer has has made Himself known, which is what the Book of Exodus is all about. God making Himself known, and He's made Himself known through these nine plagues, through this plague of a, of the Nile River turning to blood, through the plague of frogs, frogs in the in your bedroom, frogs in your your kneading bowl, frogs in your ovens, frogs in your bathtubs, frogs in your living room, frogs in your clothes, frogs everywhere. And then and then the lice come, and you've got you're covered with lice. and And then after the lice, you've got flies, and they're they're everywhere, and they're crunching under feet. and, and from flies, your cattle are dying, and then you're getting boils, and then, I mean, it just goes on and on. and And locusts come, and Egypt is simply ruined. God has made himself known to Egypt, and yet Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And so now the final plague, the final strike is coming. It's a strike that is so decisive and so horrific that Pharaoh can only cower before God. And through this strike, God shows himself to be all-powerful, sovereign, holy, and truly Lord over all creation through all of these plagues or strikes, but particularly this last one. In this final strike, Egypt, Egypt will, will see God for who he is and he will they will see God as Israel's redeemer they will they will come to know God not the way we know God but they will come to know God in a way they never anticipated and and so as we read this story Israel's exodus is is just less than a day away as this final strike this final plague come and there are three words that we're going to look at this morning that really describe this profound and tragic and unforgettable event. And that first word is judgment. The first word is judgment, the, the consequence of sin. And in, in these coming verses, we're going to see, I hope you see, I want you to see, look at it. See this Old Testament picture of the gospel, which is as clear a gospel picture as any passage in the New Testament. As God will make himself known to Israel as their redeemer. And he will make himself known to Pharaoh as the Lord of all creation. As the ruler over all. And he'll do this through this tenth and final plague. Pharaoh is finally going to learn, finally going to learn who the one true God is. Who the one true ruler is. Who the one true sovereign is. And he will not forget it. And so this final plague, now, now you have to look back to when this final plague was first mentioned. Look back in chapter, chapter 4. Look back in chapter 4 of Exodus and verse, verse 22 of chapter 4. And Moses writes, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Those are chilling words. And now turn to our section this morning beginning in chapter 11 and i'm not going to read every bit of chapter 11 12 and half of 13 which we're going through this morning i'm going to highlight sections of it so you can see where this plague is going so verse 1 of chapter 11 the lord said to moses yet one more plague one plague more will i bring upon pharaoh and upon egypt afterward he will let you go from here and when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speaking now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So, so God is having Israel act as pirates. They are plundering the Egyptians. And God is making it happen. In verse 4, so Moses says, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who was behind the, the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know. Remember that refrain in the previous chapter, especially the plagues, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel, that God makes the distinction. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And this is talking about Moses. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And sure enough, Pharaoh does not listen. He does not listen, and God keeps his word. So this is judgment. This is judgment, what we're talking about here. And so move on, and we're going to jump ahead to chapter 12 and look at verse 29. Here is the judgment, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. At midnight. That is the final judgment, death. For the wages of sin is death. Here is the final judgment. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord. Oh, this is what has been planned all along. They have been enslaved to Pharaoh. They've been servants of Pharaoh. And now God has been saying all along, let my people go that they may serve me. And finally, this judgment brings about what God's purpose for the people of God have been all along. Up, Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said. Be gone and bless me also. (laughs) God's judgment in this passage is unmistakable. And God's judgment upon sin is unmistakable. And apart from a substitutionary sacrifice, it is a judgment that is unrelenting. J.A. Mateer said this in his commentary. According to Exodus 12.30, there was not a house without someone dead. The judgment of God had swept through the houses of the Egyptians, from the royal family at the top to the single parent family of the slave girl at the bottom. This is undeniably true and indeed is central to the narrative. What is not so obvious is that there was also someone dead in the houses of the Israelites, too, for the Lamb had died and had been brought into the houses to provide the main part of the Passover feast. The Lamb had died. Oh, there was judgment upon every house, but the house of the Israelites, they were spared. God's judgment because God's judgment was placed upon a spotless lamb who died in their place there you see the the judgment of God the gospel loud and clear that's the first word judgment the next word that describes this unforgettable event is redemption And there's two parts to this redemption in in this section. Before the final strike against Egypt, God gives Israel instructions on how to prepare for the Exodus. It isn't just about how to prepare the Passover meal and how to get ready to leave Egypt. But he's preparing them by what it all means. What does this Passover mean? Not just that you have this festival, but what is... What am I doing in this festival, God says? What what am I accomplishing in this festival? What does this festival mean, not just today, but for future generations, on and on and on, even to this day, at this moment, in this church? What does this mean? They are being prepared for the most important and profound act of God in their history prior to the cross. From 12.1 through verse 28, they are instructed about the Passover. Let's look at verse 1, part 1 of God's redemption, the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth month of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, houses a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old so i'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit but here's an important point that you should see it's the first month of the year for you in other words this event this passover your exodus your your redemption is so important it is the beginning of your existence as a as a nation as a people of god this is where your history begins. It begins with the Passover. It begins with your redemption. It begins with the shed blood of the Lamb. That is when your true existence begins. Yes, you were you are physically born. Yes, you were enslaved. But now... Your, your spiritual existence, so to speak, your true existence as the people of God is now beginning with this event, the Passover, this event of redemption. And then starting in verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two board, doorposts and the lintel. And, and the lintel would be what we would call the header. That's, that's where they put it so on both doorposts. And they would put it on the header of the houses in which they eat this Passover lamb, this slaughtered lamb. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw, or I don't know why you would eat it raw, or boiled in water, but roasted, and its head with its legs and its inner part. That is not good. Um, I, would, I would leave that part until the morning to burn it. Um, and let none, of you, let none of it remain until the morning. But if you do, if anything remains until the morning, you shall burn it. So, yeah, let's just put the head in the corner. We can burn that in the morning. Um, In this manner you shall eat it. Now, here's with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And I, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. We say Passover. We have to think of this angel of death, this destroyer, whatever, whatever representative or emissary of God is doing this will pass over and no plague will befall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then down to 21, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Do, Do you not in redemption see the gospel just shining through in this passage? Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of this door of the house until morning. I mean, just who wouldn't want to peek out? But you don't. You fully obey the word of the Lord. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord here's the redemption of God. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. That is redemption. That is the Passover. But there's a twist to this final strike against Egypt. With the previous nine plagues, you see where God has made a distinction between Israel and Egypt. The lice didn't get on Israel. Israel's cattle did not die. Flies were not invading Israel's homes in the land of Goshen, where, which is where they were in, in that part of Egypt. The locusts weren't there. The boils didn't come upon them. But it's different here. There's, there's a twist here in this final strike against Egypt. God has set them apart as his children, yes, but this last strike, this last plague is very different than all the others because if Israel does not obey God's instructions and is not covered by the blood of the lamb like Egypt, their firstborn will die under God's judgment. You understand that? They didn't have to do anything in the previous nine plagues to be protected from God's judgment. Egypt was given God's judgment and Israel separated. But here, for this final judgment, this final act, which is the ultimate judgment of God, death for sin, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be the shedding of blood. If not, All of Israel, if they had not covered their doorposts and their lintel with blood, there would have been the death of the firstborn in their homes as well. That's how serious this judgment is and how serious this sin is. If Israel does not obey God's instructions and if they're not covered by the lamb, they will die. It is, it is a chilling and revealing truth that Israel is no better than Egypt without the redeeming blood of the Lamb. Without the blood, all perish under God's judgment. But God does have a plan of redemption. Only the grace of God prevents the firstborn sons from being struck dead. And the blood that was smeared on the doors of the houses of of the Israelites, that was a visible token of a life that had already been taken, that had been laid down in place of Israel. A bloody sacrifice is God's plan to redeem. Oh, don't you see a foreshadow of what is to come centuries later? So the Passover lamb is there. And the Passover lamb for Israel atones atones for Israel in two ways. The Passover lamb provides a ransom payment, a a dying in the place of the firstborn males. Someone had to die. And so instead of the firstborn males of of Israel, it was the lamb. It was a spotless lamb. And the second was that the blood of the lamb cleanses. It, It was a purifying effect upon the house of Israel. Atonement and cleansing. That is is redemption. Desmond Alexander, in his commentary, said this. He said, The Passover is especially significant because it is about much more than deliverance from slavery. In Exodus, through the Passover, God transforms the Israelites by atoning for their sin and consecrating them as holy. Without the benefits of the Passover, the Israelites could not experience God's presence with them in the future. Importantly, the Passover provides a model for divine salvation, revealing how those estranged from God may become his people. The Passover both models and anticipates a greater exodus that comes through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Brothers and sisters, when when we read through Exodus, as we've read through these these past months now, we we read through the book of Exodus. There is this there is this excitement, this anticipation, this growing preparation for what is about to come centuries later, and in this one final plague, this one event in the history of Israel, this Passover, this Exodus, this. Redemption, this consecration, this judgment. God is revealing that one day there will be one who lays on a cross and bleeds and dies so that we might be passed over when we stand before God on that final day. How glorious is God! Now, part two of the redemption is the Exodus, the final act of redemption, where Israel finally leaves Egypt. Look at 1233. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Oh, yes, they would be. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls bound up in their cloaks on their on their shoulders and the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and and for clothing and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so they let them have what they asked they plundered the Egyptians think about this redemption we're not just redeemed from slavery we're just not redeemed from judgment and death God gives us an inheritance. God gives us his Holy Spirit, it is, and and here God is blessing the Israelites. And there's a future purpose for that, as we will see later on in Exodus. But but you see God blessing his people as he redeems them. And how has God so blessed us in our redemption? giving to us this guarantee of the Holy Spirit, this promised Holy Spirit, our inheritance and and our inheritance that, that we are gods. We will always be God. Gods, we will never be snatched away from God. He will always cling to us when we are even unable to cling to him. And that one day we will be free totally from sin and we will be bound for that promised land. We will be in that promised land called heaven. That is what is going on here in this exodus. And in our exodus right now, the exodus we are in through this life and this world, there is for us a promised land. Verse 51, 1251. And on that very day, So this is all happening within less than a 24-hour period. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Finally, they are now free to serve God. Israel is gone. And now there's the third word to describe this unforgettable event. There's judgment, there's redemption, and now there's celebration. The Passover event is the climax of, of God's deliverance of Israel from enslavement under Pharaoh. And now he's instituted this yearly of the event, but more than event, it's a reenactment of, of what happened. So I, I grew up in, in a Jewish home, and, and we would celebrate the Passover. And, and the Passover is not just a one-day event like, like Christmas or New Year's um, or, or even Easter or the Passover is a seven-day event, and it is a reenactment. So you, as, as in, a, in a Jewish family, you eat matzah, unleavened bread. And, you know, there, there's a number of, of regulations which made no sense to me as a kid growing up. Um, and yes, yes, I must confess, I did sneak out to McDonald's on occasion and ate leavened bread. Um, but, but the Passover here is it's a reenactment. It is it is. It is the future generations identifying with the first generation who was redeemed. And they are celebrating this, this memorial event. It is an event there to never forget. Look at 12.14, the institution of the Passover. This day shall be for you a memorial. And the word memorial is to remember, a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. You don't forget this. And down in verse 21, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. In other words, how was it that God brought us out? this, This young child asks. And the dad responds, oh, by the blood of the lamb. That's how we were redeemed, by the blood of the Lamb. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads, and they worshiped. Passover was a reenactment of this, this deliverance so that future generations could participate in this event. So that's the first. The, the, the celebration is the, is the reenactment of Passover. Another part of the celebration is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Uh, look Look at verse 3 of chapter 13. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. You shall tell your son on that day it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, memorial to remember that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year." God institutes this because so important is the Passover. So important is the Passover to Israel that from that time onwards, the year was recorded from that moment on, from the death of the Passover land. Israel's existence begins then. Twice, Moses tells them this, to do this. He he tells them, remember, you were spared from judgment. That's, Chapter 12, verse 12. Remember God's deliverance, 6 6. In, in, in chapter 6, where we had earlier, Moses writes, he says, I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. That is what they are celebrating. That is what they are remembering. That is what they are never to forget. And in 13, 1, God consecrates Israel, setting them apart as holy. He sets apart their firstborn sons as holy as, as, as we'll see later on in Exodus as we talk about the, the Levitical priesthood and, and we see them being consecrated and set apart. And so by His death, by, by the Lamb's death over the houses of Israel, God has brought judgment, God has brought redemption. God has created celebration. And for us, by Christ's death and his shed blood, he has set us apart as holy, that we might serve him until our exodus is over, until we enter heaven, until we enter our promised land. So when we gather together, we are commanded to remember it's one of the reasons why we make Scripture such a high priority here on Sunday mornings, that you will hear from the Lord again and again the truth of God's Word again and again. Peter, in, in 2 Peter 1, tells them, I'm writing these to, these things to you that I might remind you so it will be a safeguard to you. It will protect you. And that's why this this exists as well, this this celebration that we might remember even today. Because in Psalm 78, if you read Psalm 78, it is a, it is a sad and depressing psalm in many respects. And it, it tells much of the history of Israel, but it says in 78-2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. And he goes on to establish a testimony in verse seven so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. But then you read later on in 78. And Israel does forget the commandments of the Lord, which eventually leads to their enslavement, their exile in Babylon, and God's judgment over the nation of Israel. We must not forget. And in Luke 22, Jesus tells us how we can be protected from forgetting. In Luke 22, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said, Behold, you have entered the city. Go in an upper room. And they found the room, and they prepared the Passover. And then later on, verse 14, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to him saying, this is my body, which is given for you Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, the hand of whom betrays me is on the table. And we see what happens afterwards. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, in the same way, reminds us what we must never forget what Christ has done on the cross. We must never forget the gospel. We must never forget his death on a cross. We must never forget. Brothers and sisters, we don't celebrate communion as a ritual. But like Israel celebrating the Passover, we we remember Christ's death because the death of Christ is as much a part of our present as it was of our past. So, what does communion mean for us as, as we in just a moment will celebrate communion together? It means the Lamb of God has died for us. It means the Lamb of God took away our sins. It means the Lamb of God cleansed us from all unrighteousness, consecrated us. It means the Lamb of God freed us from the slavery of sin. It means the Lamb of God frees us now to serve Him. It means the Lamb of God will one day bring us into the promised land.